Ahoy! It's your boy, and welcome to episode 43 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And take a moment, give us a five-star review if you already subscribed to the show and you like it. Type a couple sentences about why you like the show and why you think others would like it also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like it, share your favorite episode with them. We don't need everybody. We're an exclusive club here, right? Um, this is, uh, I don't want to call it a cult, but, uh, what's a non-pejorative term for a cult? This is a religious body. This is a, oh, I don't know. This is a specific caucus or I don't know, man. I don't know what we are, but, uh, we don't need everybody is what I'm saying. We're an exclusive club and, uh, we don't need everybody. We just need the people who want to be here. So if you, uh, think, can think of one person who you think you can evangelize to subscribe to the podcast, Go ahead and reach out to them. And do your missionary work, my good people. Um, let's see, what's happened this week? Uh, it's unclear when I recorded the last episode. Um, for the last two, I, I, my, my, my buddy Matt, you know Matt, we talk about Matt all the time. He's the MVP of the podcast from last year. He reached out to me and said, hey man, the last couple episodes have been really strong. Uh, which was surprising to me only because I would say over the last couple weeks... You know, I normally record on Thursday. Today's not Thursday. It's a little bit later than that, but it's not as late as I have been recording the podcast, which is on Sunday, literally the day before it comes out. And uh, it's probably a confluence of factors. I think part of it is, um, honestly, it's probably emotional. Um, I don't really know what it is, frankly, but I'm no, I, I guess I, I don't know if it's a confluence of factors as much as I'm just sort of, it's part of a trend I'm noticing in other areas of my life also, which is, um, normally I am, or I should say at least recently I've been very motivated towards school and I just finished, a th uh, I mean, we're in the middle of summer school proper now, but just prior to that, I took a three week anthropology course, which was an entire semester's worth of work in three weeks. And I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a lot of work, but maybe it was the subject matter, but I was able to focus, uh, I was able to focus very steadily on that. I enjoyed that structure. Um, now that summer school proper has started, it's still an accelerated pace, but I'm taking two courses and for some reason I'm finding it very hard to motivate myself to start each day. I mean, you know, it, it is structured, such that I have to do work every day if I'm gonna, if I'm going to finish it, and I am, and I'm getting good grades. But it's just harder now than it has been recently. And um, you know, I I know we mentioned on another episode that I'm beginning to consider seriously taking a vacation of some kind. And I'm just assuming that my, um, you know, in the same way that I'm appro approaching my work with some hesitation, I've been approaching the podcast, or I should say recording the podcast with some hesitation. And for whatever reason, that has meant that the last couple of weeks, I literally record it the day before it comes out. Um, maybe that's been good in that, uh, you know, some people just feel like they work better under pressure. And I don't know that that's objectively true. I mean, if that's how you work, you probably don't have much of a basis of comparison. Right? For those of us who procrastinate and, and typically finish things at the last minute, that's sort of who we are. We probably don't have very many experiences where, um, I guess what I'm thinking is you sort of do what you do because that's how you're calibrated. And if you are a procrastinator, 
you may just not have it in you to say, hey, well, let me chip away at this thing methodically uh, over a long period of time and just see how that compares to my other strategy of procrastinating. You probably procrastinate because you're just not constituted to do it any other way. So what am I saying? I guess I'm saying... Yeah, I guess I'm saying I don't know. I don't know why my I don't know why my friend thought the last couple episodes were particularly good. Um, maybe it has something to to do with recording them at the last minute. I'm not sure. And I don't know why Dave Chappelle just popped into my head. I I mean I know we spoke about him. I know we spoke spoke about his uh, his uh, short special 846. Uh, that is sweeping the nation. And I did, I think I did follow up. I said I was probably in the first 5,000 people to see it, as far as I remember, maybe the first 6,000 or so. But I think it's up to like 25 million views. Um, uh, I had, there's this uh, like four-hour video of him at the comic strip, um, at the comic strip live, and he's just sort of doing one of his impromptu shows, and there's probably like 30 people in the room. And uh, he's just sort of riffing for four hours, and he keeps saying over and over again that he's bombing, um, which he's not. Uh, the audience is pretty engaged. He just sort of he's just sort of shooting the shit, right? In a way, it kind of thought it kind of reminded me of what of like if if I did this podcast live, that's what it would be. I'm not saying it would be as good, but I, I would say it would just be me conversing and sort of like sharing my thoughts and kind of communicating with a room full of you know thirty to forty people. Um, there will be lulls in the conversation, obviously. But uh, it was just interesting to watch. And, uh, and yeah. 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 And the point that comes out of that is... Unclear. Unclear. I will say there was a moment that I thought was pretty... I don't know. I don't know why it stuck with me, but do y'all remember when Joaquin Phoenix, everyone thought he lost his goddamn mind and he went on Letterman? It was around the time he was shooting the the documentary, is it I'm Not Here or something like that? Um, I think Casey Affleck directed it. But, uh, you know, he did this Letterman appearance that was absolutely perplexing to people and he, they thought he was on drugs and he had lost his mind. And I guess it had just happened around the time that this little impromptu set from Dave Chappelle that was uh, four hours long at the Comedy Strip Live was recorded where he's referencing that and, and someone from the crowd goes, yeah, he's on drugs. And Dave Chappelle said, nah, man, that guy knows exactly what he's doing. He's breaking every convention of late night appearances that you're supposed to do. And uh, it was like Dave Chappelle recognized it as performance art. And it was just interesting to hear... It, I think it was a very singular opinion at the time. And... I don't know why. It was very, uh, I don't know. Dave Chappelle has this mystique where he's sort of, I mean, he's treated as a genius and maybe he is, but, um, there was something about his insight into that, which I think was just another example of his, I don't know, discerning tastes, you know, the, 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 the fact that as a performer, he was able to recognize Joaquin Phoenix's, uh, appearance on the Letterman show as a performance. Um, and what is it that, Dave Chappelle is able to pick up on about that, that, that is lost on other people. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. We got my girlfriend moved into her new apartment. Um, yeah, moving sucks. 
Um, I'm glad that my girlfriend threw money at the problem and uh, hired some movers. Because I think if it was just me and her doing it ourselves, it would have been the end of our relationship. I don't know. I don't know what it is about moving that is so uniformly stressful. I mean, I understand nobody wants to do it, right? And especially as a dude who has a truck, I am. It's been a while, but typically, I am very frequently asked to help people move. It's it's like when you buy a truck, you're just sort of deputized to be the mover. And I've always moved myself, now that I think about it. Um, I've lived in three different places here in the Bay Area, and I moved myself out here as well. And uh, I just packed everything into a truck and got rid of the rest. And um, So I've always kind of moved myself. And I've helped other people move, but there's something about it that it doesn't matter how close you are with someone romantically, it doesn't matter how good friends, good of friends you are, it just, it just you start fighting with someone. And it's not that we were overtly hostile to each other, but there was just a couple times while I was helping her pack where, you know, when you're not the party being moved, when you're the, when you are the packer, you're the peripheral packer to the moving expedition, it's like you're sitting in an apartment that's already very much disoriented because the person's already in the middle of packing and you want to be helpful, but you don't know where everything is and where they want it to go. And... Even if you've never done it before, for some reason, when somebody approaches moving or packing, they already have a clear sense of how it should be done. And I don't know how we can all vary so wildly in our approaches to this process, but we seem to. And it also just highlights how people approach things in general. You know what I mean? So I'm sort of a let's just get to it and figure it out as we go. My girlfriend's much more methodical. And so she wants everything packed up. She... (laughs) <laughs> she would hate hearing this, but in some ways it reminded me, it wasn't this exactly, but it reminded me of when you watch the television show Hoarders. And so you're basically looking at a mountain of trash and you think the wise thing to do is just go in with a bulldozer and just start shoveling shit out of there and throwing it into a dumpster. Now that's not what I'm recommending to the moving process, but it's something like that is let's just get in there and start working Whereas my girlfriend is like the hoarder who wants to pick up every single piece of debris and analyze it and starts, you know, putting it into piles, you know, and you're like, just throw it in a box, just throw it in a box. Let's get it out of here. It's not the perfect analogy, but it's something like that. So, uh, you know, we did that for, I think the first half of, I think it was like Saturday of last weekend, finally get it done. And, um, we're sort of back over at my place for 4th of July. I'm sorry if I said all this before, this is sounding, this is sounding familiar now that I'm going through it, but as we're sort of, uh, making dinner, going for a walk, we start laughing and joking again. And we realize we're, we're sort of reconciled to each other. And, um, and yeah, the next day we had the movers, uh, take everything out of our place. And, moving when you have movers it's actually kind of emasculating as the male um you know she's up or she formerly was up on the third floor of her apartment building and so these guys come up and they've already done one job right it's like 10 45 in the morning and they've already moved someone else out of their apartment you're the you're their second job of the day they've already done more physical activity in the last three hours than you've done all week oh and they're about to do it again and you're sort of up there with all your stuff standing there and uh, they come in and, you know, they interface with me because I'm the male and they're asking me where things are going and I'm sort of, they're like, yeah, so uh, here's all the stuff that you're going to be moving that I will not be helping you with whatsoever. 
And it's like every time they come back, you know, they basically are just picking up dressers with like two hands I can't even lift and like throwing them over their shoulder and like carrying it down three flights of stairs. And I'm just sort of standing there like, um, uh, hey, good job, guys. I'm like moral support. <clears throat> so, yeah, there is something emasculating about that. But, um, got everything into her new place and, uh, I think she's settling in nicely. So, yeah, I don't want to say we're out of the woods with the whole uh, shooting that happened at her other at her other place, but it was actually kind of it was kind of poignant, actually. I mean, I remember. Well, I'll say this: we sort of closed out. Uh, I think on Wednesday we did the final sort of walkthrough. Um, you know, uh, got the last of the things that were sort of left behind. Uh, you know, did our cleaning and all that sort of stuff. And I do remember as we were leaving, it was kind of poignant for me, and uh, I remember kind of taking a last look at the empty room and thinking, oh, this is where me and my girlfriend met. Like, this is a big part of the first chapter of our life together. And um, this is where we had our first kiss. And we spent a lot of time here and did a lot of bonding. And yeah, it was just strange. Um, I didn't anticipate having that kind of a reaction. And, you know, my girlfriend got kind of emotional too. She kind of teared up a little bit. And um it was strange for something that ended so horribly for her, for a place that was very uncomfortable uncomfortable for her to be in at the very end. You know, it was a very traumatizing thing that happened there. Um, it was still sad for it to end. And I hadn't really thought about it, but I, I sort of mentioned it as we were driving the things back over to her, the, you know, the last of her things over to her new, new place. And this was the... The last time I saw the apartment, the last time I'd walk down those stairs, the last time I would step out onto that street and pull away from that place, which I had done, you know, hundreds of times before, it just sort of reminded me of the other places I moved out of in my life. And I remember when I was 10 years old, we were living in Ohio, moved to Arizona. And as far as I remember, I was the last one out of our childhood home. And I remember thinking that as a kid, I I don't think I fully absorbed it, but I remember it was like I was trying to let my consciousness expand to absorb the fact that I would literally never see this place again, that this was the last time in my life that I would be in this space, you know, and that I was very literally closing the door on this chapter of my life. And since then, there's been two times in my life when I've been back in that area. You know, the house we lived in was at the bottom of a long driveway in the middle of the woods. And so you can see the house from the main road, but it's it's sort of tucked away. And there's been two times in my life where I've had the opportunity to be back there and have driven there and sort of looked down at the house from that driveway. But other than that, um, you know, you're literally closing yourself off from a world that you inhabited for so long. And maybe to some of you that sounds overly nostalgic or poetic or whatever. But I think for a lot of us that makes sense, you know. And, I mean, I lived in my place when I was living in Arizona when I first moved out of my, you know, my childhood. Well, I guess the first time I moved out on my own, rather. You know, I was staying in a place in Tucson, which I lived in for like four years. And I remember leaving there and kind of trying to, you know, drink it in, you know, just kind of looking at the empty place, which was actually kind of a shithole. I left it pretty <laughs> kind of fucked up. And actually, coincidentally, I, I left some of my childhood um, artifacts, heirlooms, whatever you want to call it, um, 
in the closet by accident, which I, I deeply regret. Some important, you know, childhood toys, little pieces of memorabilia that were important to me. Not that I would have used them, but, you know, you would have kept them in a box and looked at them every decade or so and, and, uh, and had a nice moment. You would have been happy that you, you kept these things, which are lost to me forever. But <clears throat> I do remember leaving that space and looking into it and thinking, this is it. And I didn't have quite the same thing with my first two apartments out here, but I've been in the place I'm in now for, at, for over a decade. And so many important things have happened to me here. I mean, literally every creative piece of work that is socially available from the records I made as the plastic arts, um, all the videos I've ever shot, they've all been done in this space. And when it's time for me to leave here, which will not be too far from now, God, that's going to be the end of a big part of my life. And I wouldn't be surprised if I got emotional myself when that happened. But there's something about those moments where you're sort of standing in them and you know they're important. And sometimes there's a disconnect because you know the moment's important and you're trying to drink it in and you're just not, it's just not happening organically. Do you know what I mean? Like, I guess there's a, there's something about it. it, it, It's almost like it's, there's an expectation that it is poignant. I mean, you know, it's meaningful, but sometimes the attending feeling that you want to accompany that situation doesn't always come about organically, but you're, you're almost trying to force a moment, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if this is what it feels like at your wedding, but there are times where you're not anticipating a, a special moment at all. And it sort of, you know, it hits you like a bucket of water. I, like I'm thinking of this time when we were kids, uh, you know, I had my friend Tyler and Jake who used to live up in Phoenix when we were living in Tucson and I used to go up there all the time. And there was just this one night or weekend that we were up there and we were just kind of doing the same shit we always do, which is just getting drunk at their apartment. We would go over to the, the Biltmore hotel, which is sort of a nicer hotel in the area and just crash their, their pool and their hot tub in the middle of the night, even though we weren't guests there. And at one point, we were just kind of driving around that area, just pool hopping. You know, I had my car. We'd sort of pull up to somebody who had a a visible pool from the street. And my buddies would just hop the fence and and just jump in their pool real quickly and then just jump out. And I just remember, as it was happening, thinking, one, that I was happy. You know, I kind of knew in that moment that this was a... this was sort of the music video moment of my childhood, right? Like most of the time you're just living your life and you're just sort of walking through it. And, you know, you don't recognize the important moments as they come and go. You don't know when you're, I don't know, you don't know when you're in certain chapters of your life. But there was something about living in that experience that I was both incredibly happy. um, And at the same time, I was aware that this was a special evening that I would remember this for the rest of my life in many ways, which is rare. But in, but in that way, I was able to both experience it and bottle it up and take it with me, which is rare. I don't think you get very many moments like that in your life. And there are other times where you're almost trying to force the moment. You know, you should be having a emotional response. You know, it's important, but there's not I don't know, the emotional feeling isn't really coming, <laughs> you know? Um, sometimes it's death, sometimes it's funerals. Um, and it's not until we're outside of those situations that the feelings sort of come flooding in. Um, yeah. So I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with all this except to say, 
Well, I guess I'm reminded of this time when me and my girlfriend took this trip to Belize. And I, you know, your boy is not a huge fan of traveling. And it's not that I have horrible experiences when I travel. I often have great experiences. But there's something about the way I'm wired that I always approach traveling with some apprehension. And no matter how many trips I go on and enjoy, I never fucking get it in my head. The next time somebody says, hey, let's go on a trip, my first reaction is still no. But there was something about this trip to Belize that was so outside my normal experience. I mean, you know, this was, not, this, you know, it still is the biggest trip that we've done together. And it, you know, we had gone to New York, we had gone to Denver, we would take day trips outside of the immediate area and stuff like that. But this was like entering another world for, God, I think we were there for maybe seven days, frankly. So it was a, it was a good trip. And I remember we took this unexpected excursion into Guatemala because we had gone to some of the, you know, uh, uh, you know, the Mayan ruins, the Aztec ruins that are sort of in the area, um, in Belize. And we enjoyed it so much that we wanted to go see Tikal in Guatemala, which is the largest site in the area. And it was like a two and a half hour drive there. And it was a full day trip. But I remember going to Tikal, and even though you spend the entire day there, you really, you just don't even get to see most of the place. But it was such a, I don't know, for me, a moving experience. I I, 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 I never could have anticipated having that kind of, um, I guess, a cultural experience, but also a kind of, I mean, for me, it was almost spiritual. I mean, I really felt, you know, when we went to these sites, when we went caving, I, I never could have anticipated having that kind of connected feeling to something so ancient. And, you know, you like, yeah. for some reason, like it, going to Italy has never appealed to me. It just seems like it would be full of tourists and it would be so distracting. But there was something about going caving in Belize and going to these, you know, these ancient civilizations where you really felt like you were connecting with history. And it was just, yeah, it was almost a spiritual kind of thing. And I remember at one point we're all sort of, you know, in the center of Tikal and the sort of really what was the town square of this civilization. And, you know, the guy said, okay, I'll give you guys 10 minutes to sort of run around, but then we got to be going. We got a two and a half hour drive back to Belize uh, to do. And I remember very purposefully, I've separated from the group and I sort of ran off into these ruins. And I, I remember getting as far away from everybody as I could. And I sort of got to the top of one of these, you know, these sort of step pyramid type buildings. You can probably picture it in your head. And I sort of got tucked away into these buildings and these ruins somewhere. And it was actually kind of funny because I stumbled on a staff worker who was fast asleep. Like, it's almost like on a construction site, people know they can kind of sneak away and find a place to sleep. Like, there's an episode of The Office where they say down in the warehouse, they have a little nook that they sleep in. It was like, this, is the, this was this guy's area to get away. He knew most people didn't come over here. He could probably get away and, and catch 40 winks if he wanted to. And I didn't wake him up, but I, I just remember stumbling on him. But even then, I sort of like stood there. And I remember standing in the ruins and sort of like closing my eyes and kind of just standing there, feeling the sun and trying to do this meditation where I really tried to be present, you know, because I was fully aware in this moment that I would never come back here, that this was a very important experience, that, that you know, that it, it, I was being affected deeply by what I was doing in this moment. And I also knew from my experience that as soon as I go back, the feeling will disappear. You know, uh, this feels very important now and I'm enjoying myself, but 
it, it could even be later tonight, but at some point I'm going to return to my life as normal and this will just be a distant memory. And I remember standing there closing my eyes and kind of like almost as a mantra telling myself like, remember this, remember this, remember this. And I was very actively trying to bottle up in some way, in whatever way I could. I was, sort of, I was trying to emotionally capture this moment and take it with me. Um, I guess maybe I was relatively successful because I continued to think about that moment and, and sort of recall it and, and, uh, and draw on it in other areas of my life. But yes, I'm sort of anticipating in some ways leaving here, leaving the space that I currently live in will be something like that for me also. I mean, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I think we all have moments like this, maybe like when we break up with somebody, where we realize, oh, this is the last time I'm seeing you. You know, when you're younger, you do this dance where you guys are, ne- you know, you it's, it's never a clean break. You guys still see each other and hook up or something like that, and it's sort of messy. And by the time it's really all over, everyone's feelings are hurt and that sort of thing. But when you, hopefully, when you become an adult, you're better at just sort of making a clean break of things. Uh, the last person I dated before my current girlfriend, I remember that I, I we, we've talked about her before, but I, I, I basically went over to her place, and just broke up with her. And I knew, I mean, I really prepared for it. I like took all the photos I had of her at my place and like boxed them away. I deleted her from my phone. I unconnected with her on social media. And then I went over to her house and broke up with her. And I had this strange moment when we were sort of out on the patio of her place, which we had spent a lot of time on. I remember I was sort of, you know, sitting with her. She was very emotional. And I, I knew I wasn't going to stay very long, but I was going to spend some time with her, and then I was going to say goodbye. And I remember as I was saying goodbye, and I meant it, I was hugging her. And she had, you know, she lived with a bunch of artsy-fartsy people. It was sort of a creative household, right? And so on their patio, they had chalk, and they had, like, sort of made art all over the walls. Very artsy-fartsy-looking house. And I never, I mean, I'd looked at these walls a hundred times. And I remember as I was hugging her and telling myself, this is goodbye. Like this, this, you will never come back here. I remember just looking over her shoulder and in huge letters and chalk on the wall in a way that I, and I'd never seen it before. It said, never return. And I was like, well, there you go. That's the message from the cosmos. You know, the cosmos is very specifically telling me this is it. And uh, it sounds super crazy, but in some ways, I actually, <laughs> I drew on that message when we were separated. Because, of course, you miss the person. You're connected to them. You know, they're part of your routine. They're a part of your life. And it, it was hard not to reach out to them and see how they're doing and possibly reconnect, reconnect in some way, right? Um, it's hard to just make a clean break of things, but... There was something about that moment, looking up at that wall and seeing the phrase, never return, that I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so who knows? Hmm. But anyway, yeah. Well, I'm happy for my girlfriend. 
I'm happy she's in a new place. I'm I'm happy that she was willing to close the close the door on that chapter of her life and uh, and try to to start something new. And you know, goodbyes are hard, right? Because it's the end of the familiar. And um, I mean, this comes up for me all the time. You know what it was? This is going to sound strange, but <laughs> you can see my fridge from the bathroom, and I happened to be going to the bathroom earlier. And I saw the pictures of my girlfriend on the fridge, and I was thinking this thing. I, I was just thinking, you know, there were some of the you know, first pictures that we had together. And I remember thinking, wow, time, is, time flies. You know, I've been with my girlfriend for quite a while. It'll be f- four years uh, next month, actually. And I just remember thinking, God, you were so smart to like make a clean break with that person because if you, I mean, it sounds maybe, I don't know, kind of ponderous or whatever, but I, 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 I felt this at the time and I, I think, you know, my, you know, life has proved this to be true, but when you're starting something new, you really do have to break ways with the past because you really do have to make room in your life for something else. And if you're constantly going back to the same person, and it, I mean, it's sort of like if you work in a warehouse, they have those calendars that say, we've had X number of days without an accident. Every time you reconnect with them, every time you text them, every time you see each other or sleep with them or whatever you do, that counter goes back to zero. And it's like, there's no rushing the process. You need X number of days away from that person to begin to really move on. And you know, it probably varies depending on the quality of the relationship. I don't know if it's two months or three months or six months. Someone once said it's actually half of the time you spend, half the length of the relationship is what it takes to really move on from someone. Um, I think it varies. I think there's some people you get over very quickly. And then you're sort of surprised. There are some people who you thought were not as meaningful of a relationship, but for whatever reason, they, they haunt you a little bit longer. But I, I genuinely believe you do have to make room in your life for the next best thing because... You know, if you're, you know, I'm not a fatalist. I don't think things happen for a reason, but it is strange to look back on my life, especially how I met my girlfriend and think it really just hinged on me kind of conceding to an impulse that I had actually been fighting. I mean, I was drinking at the time. Your boy doesn't drink now, but it was like, I saw my friend perform and I met my girlfriend at a bar because I let, you know, I sort of was succumbed to this impulse to drink, even though I was like, man, you should go home and just go to bed. But I was like, I don't know, man. I kind of want to go to the bar and get a drink. I ended up meeting my girlfriend. You know, that was the beginning of a four-year relationship. But what if I had spent that night just kind of going to see my ex-girlfriend? You know, or texting with them or hurrying home to get, to, you know, to, to get on the phone with them or, or FaceTime with them or whatever the thing is, right? It's like when you break with the past, you really do have to keep room in your life for the next best thing. You have to make room for those things. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful stuff. <clears throat> I got to be honest with you. I feel kind of stupid. I, I think I had some success on the last episode by having notes throughout the week that I took. it allowed me to sort of jump from topic to topic and sort of speak pretty fluently without uh, much break in the conversation. And so I literally have a list of things that have come up for me over the weekend that I told myself I would get to, but now I feel unmotivated to get to any of them, frankly. Um, one actual, well, there's one thing here that kind of follows kind of organically from what we're talking about, but um, 
I think it's okay to say this. I mean, since my girlfriend had this sort of traumatic event in her place, um, you know, she's been getting some support and, um, she's been sort of shopping around for therapists, you know, somebody to help her with some of the traumatic feelings that obviously she's having after an event like, uh, like the one that happened in her apartment building. And, um, She's not telling the other therapist, but she's basically shopping three people, you know, so sometimes she's getting therapy up to three times a week and she's not telling the other person about the other person, but she was connected with one person through her works mental health program. And every time she would talk to this woman, she had deep reservations about them after their appointments. And she would say things like, you know, I don't, this woman seems more interested in being my friend than like really being my therapist and would say things like, you go girl and, and would just sort of you know, I don't know. Therapists are not, in my experience, a good therapist is not your cheerleader, necessarily. There, there was something about the, the way my girlfriend described their approach that felt very life coachy, right? Um, you know, therapists are really just sort, s- supposed to be emotionally available and listen and just sort of give you space to experience yourself in an emotionally honest way, right? And um, yeah, there was something a little too cheerly about what she was reporting to me. But what what really ended their relationship is my girlfriend told me just last week that they had an exchange recently where um, we don't really, I mean, I, we've never really used this term, but technically we're a mixed race couple, I guess. And uh, she was speaking with her therapist and her therapist said, hey, do you mind if I ask what race is your boyfriend? And this was in the context of my girlfriend discussing our relationship. And, and the therapist goes, do you mind if I ask what race is your boyfriend? And she says, oh, he's white. And she goes, oh, that's wonderful. You two are going to have the most beautiful Eurasian babies. And I was fucking mortified when my girlfriend told me that. And I was just like, well, first of all, I mean, you know, there's, you know, the concept of like microaggressions, right? Um... I don't have a lot to say about it, except, you know, that's the type of thing that I think my girlfriend and other people of color just have to deal with on a constant basis. Like, one, this person is already clearly profoundly insecure. But here you have somebody who they're sort of betraying on some level that they are uncomfortable interfacing with my girlfriend's race. And so they overcompensate by it. They overcompensate for it with this sort of they're pantomiming I don't even know the word exuberance or joy about the prospect of my girlfriend and I having biracial babies you know like who 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 would be enthusiastic about that how could you possibly summon any feelings about that whatsoever especially exuberance right the idea, oh, wonderful, oh, that's so great, you guys are going to have beautiful Eurasian babies. It's sort of a, it, it's sort of a, I don't know, I pitied them in a way. It was almost like a Michael Scott moment, do you know what I mean? <clears throat> you know, uh, it's just a complete social miscalculation. And it's hard because when it comes to the issue of race, of course, I don't know, even I'm sort of, as a white dude, even I, when I hear something like that, I'm tempted to just sort of skewer the person. But it's hard to say. I mean, aren't we all liable to social faux pas, right? Like, don't we all stick our foot in our mouth every once in a while? And I don't know. I guess I guess you sort of have to ask the person who's like kind of taking the brunt of the 
you know, microaggression, for lack of a better word, and ask them how they feel about it. And to be fair, my girlfriend does absorb most of that. But I did feel, you know, I felt like I was sort of, it was a microaggression against me also by proxy because it's sort of, uh, sorry, I'm burping over here. It sort of reduces our relationship to like, I don't know, almost like a Coca-Cola commercial, <laughs> right? Like when you watch, Co- anytime you watch a commercial now, and it used to be just like the Viagra commercials, there'd be like three white friends in a Corvette with their token black friend. But over time, it's like now every commercial is just, it is a, uh, it's a smorgasbord. Is that the word? I don't know. It's a potpourri of people, right? Um, there, there's, there's no single minority or majority. There's one of everything. And I was saying like, oh yeah, it's like we're, it's like our relationship and our, our, even our future family ostensibly is being reduced to like the, the demographic requirements of the cover of a J crew catalog. But it's hard, though. I mean, even as a white dude, you know, I, I say these things, and, I'm, and part of it is I'm, I'm just kind of being funny, but I wonder if there is really any real emotional response to that. You know, I, 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 I don't have to live with that all the time. I mean, it's sort of funny. In the last few weeks, I've literally had someone yell white boy at me a few times. <laughs> I was with my girlfriend in San Francisco, and this poor guy was on a uh, on a scooter and he was working for Caviar. I don't know if they have that everywhere, but Caviar is basically like a food delivery service, like DoorDash or or one of these things. And I, I assume that's everywhere, but if it's not, it's basically just an app that you order food, food through and someone delivers it to you, your door. So you pay like $23 for a fucking milkshake from uh, Dairy Queen or something like that. But um, this poor guy is delivering food in San Francisco and San Francisco is famous for its hills, right? And this poor guy is on this scooter that sort of stalled out. And he's, like, not able to find the place he's looking for, clearly. But he's, like, in the middle of this intersection. And he's sort of standing there. And I just sort of give the guy a friendly, like, oh, maybe you don't see me, but, you know, cars are trying to get through here. And he's so frustrated. I don't know how it happens, but he ends up dropping his order. And it's like he's, he, he's had the fucking last straw, right? He just grabs the bag and just sort of go, and he says something like, there's your fucking order. And he gets to the other side, and I'm just sort of looking at him and kind of uh, just absorbing the situation. And he just looks at me and goes, white boy. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then me and my girlfriend are walking down the street on 4th of July, and I don't, remember, I don't know what he prefaced it with, but someone said something. And then, it, and, and then he was literally turning a corner and yelled something at me, which ended in white boy. And I don't know what, I don't know what preceded it, but it was something like, yeah, get it, white boy. (laughs) And I was like, okay. I guess what I'm saying is technically those qualify as racial slurs, I guess, but they actually have, they really have no impact on me. I mean, I note them, but for me, they're kind of a novelty, right? In a way, maybe, dude, maybe it's like, when guys do that dumb that dumb dude thing where they say, "Well, I don't know why girls get bothered that they or why, why are girls bothered that they get hit on." It's supposed to be a compliment, and it's like, motherfucker, you don't deal with it every everywhere you go. One, I do believe that men and women are are wired differently, um, in many ways. But yeah, maybe for dudes it is a compliment because it doesn't happen all the goddamn time. If somebody came up to me and started hitting on me, regardless of who they were, I would be flattered, right? And I would it actually would put a little more pep in my step throughout the day. 
<clears throat> but when you're objectified constantly, I mean, I remember my friend, I actually, in a way, when, when I remember me telling you a story about when I had those Dave Chappelle tickets, I thought, oh, who's someone I'd really like to go out with that I would be sort of intimidated to ask out otherwise? The person I ended up asking, I remember one time they posted this thing on social media that I've always remembered. And it made sense because she was a very attractive, she is a very attractive female. But she posted something that said, you know, from the, I guess it, it could have come across as vain, but it really didn't. I, I think, you, you know, you have to read people's tone. But she posted something that was like, for, literally from the minute I stepped outside my place today to the time I walked home, every environment I entered into, I was uh, catcalled or... Um, hit on or uh, approached in a sexual manner, right? So, like, her Lyft driver made a pass at her. Her, uh, you know, uh, at work, somebody made an inappropriate comment to her. Uh, at lunch, something happened. And so it was basically, like, she was just trying to share, like, from the moment I leave my house to the time I go home, like, I am constantly aware uh, that people are uh, sort of clocking me as a sexual object and sort of, I mean, in a way, you know how celebrities talk about when you're famous, you become highly attuned to people recognizing you, whether they, they come up and approach you or not. But it's like you'll be in some public space and out of the corner of your eye, you can just, you can just observe in your per peripheral vision someone acknowledging you. And then you see the gears in their head turning of like, oh, shit, is that? Oh, shit, is that fucking Dave Chappelle? Oh, dude. Oh, and then thinking like, oh, should I go talk to them? In a way, women are like that all the time, right? They just have to be constantly aware of people, you know, registering them, clocking them as a person of romantic or sexual interest, and almost like watching them sort of, um, um, you know, coach themselves up to like build up the nerve to come over and talk to you. That's got to be fucking exhausting. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, is, yeah, these things happen every once in a while, but they have no effect, Right? Like, because I think I know in my gut, I just go back to my life. Like, oh, well, there's a novelty. Somebody made a derogatory statement about my race or something. But I get to go back to my life. I know it doesn't affect me. Like, words like white boy and cracker, they have no... I, I use them. They have no... They're not barbed at all because they don't have the history. Anyway, I know I'm not saying anything profound here. In some ways, I think I'm just trying to acknowledge that in some ways I felt slighted by this comment. But my girlfriend's the one who has to sort of bear the brunt of it. I mean, ultimately, I think it was this therapist's, uh, you know, uh, frankly, there there is something about my girlfriend's race that is uncomfortable for this person to navigate. And it manifested itself this way. And it's not a racial slur. It's just this abiding sense that for whatever reason, you will frequently sit across people who knows why that your race is an issue for them you know it does, does it make him a bad person no not necessarily who knows why they feel this way maybe it is an exceptional experience for them to be speaking with someone who's not white <clears throat> anyway dude can you tell your boys trying to be better your boys trying to use the current social change movement that we're having to raise his consciousness he's trying to check his privilege so to speak your boy is trying okay yeah a couple things though i think i was thinking about remember i was talking about the bad portrait of george floyd that i saw painted up on the wall in oakland it was just fucking atrocious 
I was I was saying it was like those you ever see those bad tattoos? You know? Like you'll like dude, I always get roped into this shit where it's like you see these sort of clickbaity things on Facebook or whatever, it's like oh um, you know, it's like the 50 terrible tattoos, right? And you have to click through each page and it's just one more picture and it's just littered with ads and it's sort of coded in such a way that they want you to accidentally click on an ad or something like that. Those types of things. But like, it, it would be the one where like you see the bad tattoos and so it'll basically show you the horrible tattoo but the picture that they were shooting for. This portrait of George Floyd was one of these, you know, the, it was uh, spray painted but it was like equivalent of those types of horrible portraits. But I hadn't realized that the photo was everyone everyone was using was a selfie that George Floyd had taken. I assume it was posted on his Instagram or something like that. But it's like, I was talking about, you know, George Floyd had no idea how his life, what would transpire in his life, you know? Like, he, it's so spooky when you think about it. Like, he had no idea when he took that photo that he posted on Instagram. And presumably, he thought he looked good in it, so fine. But it's like he never knew that this would be a historical photo. I mean, isn't that fucking crazy to think that just some selfie you take is a now an artifact of history? One, you're about overnight you will become the icon of an entire movement. You will become the face of an entire social justice movement, but this will be the photo that the world knows you by. It's really fucking overwhelming when you think about it. I guess the opposite of that would be, do you remember the woman who posted on Twitter? She basically was about boarding a flight for like Africa and she just tweeted, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but something like going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. And by the time her plane landed, it had gone viral and literally the entire nation fucking hated her. It's something like that. Not the same thing exactly, but something like that. You just never know that something that to you feels completely insignificant will be I mean, dude, think about, like, ancient civilizations. Like, when, when they unearth, like, they're in Mesopotamia. Like, most of the cuneiform tablets that we have are just, like, a bookkeeping stuff, right? It's, like, uh, it's, uh, it, it's basically the, uh, uh, yeah, the bookkeeping of a fucking granary. And we go, oh, wow, what a fan- what an interesting historical document. It gives us such insight into the culture of that time period. And you think, this was just nothing to this person. Like, what if the most important cultural artifact of this time period is some Dumbo's Instagram account? And people are, like, analyzing the photos and saying, oh, look at the culture, look at the dress. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? It just makes you think, you know, we have these important documents of history that we treat with such importance. And we go, how much did this actually mean to the people of the time period? You know? Like, we have a couple scraps of um, Sanskrit, and we sort of, you know, we construct the Epic of Gilgamesh and decide that this is the national story of, this is the cultural artifact and story of these people. But what if that's just like their summer blockbuster? What if that's their version of as good as it gets? I think, oh yeah, we saw that. It was pretty good. We would see it every 10 years and go, oh, it's okay. But this was not their Citizen Kane. What if, what if it was just their summer blockbuster to them? Dude, what if Epic of Gilgamesh was their Da Vinci Code? Like, maybe everyone read it, but it wasn't like the summary of their 
religious beliefs. Do you know what I mean? I don't know, dude. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I am reaching. That's a bit of a reach. I really am fishing for something to talk about at this point. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes here. I don't even know what some of them mean. I get, Well, one of them is car trouble. I did have car trouble. I had this rhythmic, rhythmic knocking in my truck. And your boy drives a, toy, uh, a Toyota. It's a truck. A Toyota truck. And I got about 160,000 miles on this thing. <clears throat> and I was about 1,000 miles shy of an oil change when I started hearing this noise. And... I don't know if you're like me. I mean, I think we've talked about this in terms of like my taxes, but whenever I have something that makes me feel insecure, I just put it off. And of course it balloons into something much bigger than it probably is. And by the time I get around to it, I have such strange feelings about it that when the person finally says, oh, no issue, I'm like instantly relieved. And I always tell myself, like traveling, I don't know how many times I have to go through this before I just absorb the lesson and the information and like let it inform my future feelings. (laughs) Um, no matter how many times I build something up by avoiding it and finally get around to it and realize it's no big deal at all and should have just dealt with it in the first place, I still do the same thing. In a way, that's probably, that, that probably is what procrastination is, right? Like even when you put off homework assignments, it's, it's the insecurity that just getting to work and setting about and doing it is sort of bringing up in you, right? But we, I had this knocking and it just got worse and worse and worse. And finally I was like just driving with my girlfriend and it was just awful. And I literally felt, you know, I don't feel this too often. Um, excuse me, burping. I don't know what the word is for it. I, 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 I was, I was calling it material insecurity, but it's like, you know, they talk about like food insecurity. There's something to driving around in a car that's beat up or that's making weird noises where you literally feel shame as you pull up to an intersection where it's like as you're pulling up next to someone they hear like the knocking coming from your vehicle and they kind of look at you and it's not that anyone says anything or makes you feel bad but you just feel yeah my car is fucked up you know it's sort of a it's sort of a shaming social thing and i don't know why i thought this but i was thinking of you know sometimes people will criticize people who are on welfare or something and say, well, they shouldn't be spending their money on iPhones or whatever, right? As if we're the fucking, we should, we like, well, it's, I don't know. It's an interesting point. I don't know where I come down on this exactly, but if someone is receiving money, you know, do you have the right to dictate what they spend it on? Maybe you could make a case that you could, but at the same time, like people are incredulous why people who are getting sort of assistance, financial assistance, why are they spending the money on iPhone and not something more quote essential, And there was something about this car trouble that I was having and having to drive around and every intersection I pulled up to, I was basically uh, broadcasting to everybody that there was something wrong with my car and I hadn't fixed it yet. That was, that was kind of, I don't want to say deeply shaming, but it was, it was shaming. And in a way I thought about that and I thought, oh, it makes perfect sense to me why people would spend money that they had on something that it feels very important. It, you know, solving this issue or rectifying this issue solves a social pressure that I feel to sort of be adequate materially, right? Like your car, the condition of your car, the state of your car's functionality says something about who you are as a person, you know, and you're concerned that, well, people are making all sorts of assumptions about me based on the state of my vehicle. Like I can't afford to fix it. Um, 
And it, honestly, it was probably exacerbated by the fact that my truck is starting to look pretty shitty. I mean, one, I hadn't cleaned it for a while, but it's a... How old is it now? It is a 20-year-old truck. Almost. Probably 19 years old. No, no, it's probably... No, it is 20 years old. It's a 20-year-old truck now. So the paint's kind of peeling. You know, it's not very pretty. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's not looking great. It's, it's running well, but it's not looking great. And... Yeah, that's, it's been weird. I, I, I you know, I, I felt this for some time now, but it's like when you're driving an older model of a vehicle, it's like you see a brand new one. Like I drive a Tacoma and it's like, I'll see a brand new Tacoma and I do feel shamed. Like I pull up to an intersection next to a new Tacoma and I go, ah, oh, fuck yeah, I'm driving the old one. Um, but I guess I should say, actually, it turned, I took it to the, this place I go to. You should do, they're actually a great place. They're called Arts Automotive in, and they are in Berkeley. If you have a, I think, Japanese car, I don't know. I think they work on all sorts of vehicles. You should check it out. But they, they're very great. They're very trustworthy. They're always friendly. Um, I, I just, I respect them a lot. It's, a lot of us are insecure when there's something wrong with our car. We don't know who to take it to. And they're fucking great. They always make the process very easy. So I recommend them highly. But it turned out to be nothing. For, for some fucking reason, there were two lug nuts missing from my tire. And the others were loose. So I don't know what the fuck happened. You and I both know those things don't just fall off. So I don't know if someone was trying to steal my tire and had to, had to abandon the process or what. But there were literally two lug nuts missing from my tire and the others were loose. So thank God my tire didn't fucking fall off while I was driving. But, um, but again, just another example of something that I was freaking out about, had tons of feelings about, and it was an easy fix. So, yeah. That'll probably have to happen only a hundred more times before I absorb that lesson. Yeah. I have another note here that says internal nose pimples. Yeah. Well, not much needs to be said about this one. I woke up, uh, I don't know, at some point in the last weekend. You know when you're getting a pimple and it's like sensitive and you think, ooh, that's going to be a good one. Now, when I get a pimple, I'm profoundly insecure. Like I don't want to leave the house, you know, if it's, I mean, if it's a really bad looking one, it's like, it, I really get insecure about it, but it doesn't change the fact that I enjoy expressing them. Do you know what I mean? I enjoy popping them. Uh, not that I am enamored of like Dr. Pimple Popper or want to watch videos of other people getting their cysts drained. Like some people do. Some people love that shit. Not me. It's disgusting. But there is something pleasurable about popping your own pimples. And it also doesn't take away from the, like, you know, when you have a pain, like a, like a painful tooth and you just keep flicking it and it's kind of that dull pain. It's not sharp, but you, it's pain, but you don't stop doing it. There's something about that when a pimple comes in too. It's like you feel it and you feel the pressure and it's not comfortable. It might even be a little painful, but you can't help but just kind of poke at it every now and then. Do you know what I mean? And I woke up the other day and I felt that pressure on the side of my nose and I, it, I, it was both stimulating, but also dreadful. Cause I thought, oh man, I really don't want this to become a bad pimple. But I realized it was actually like on the inside of my nose, which is fucking crazy. I don't know that it ever came to a head cause I, it's gone now and I, I can't really see in there, but it was like an inverted pimple. It's very interesting. I've had them before, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I told you that. I could have kept that a secret, right? The world never needed to know about it, and yet here I am broadcasting about my internal nose pimple. Better than an external one, though. 
Although I will say, dude, these face masks are making me break out a little bit. <clears throat> like right on the ridge line of my nose where the mask goes over, I do find that I'm breaking out a little bit there. Which is not fun. Dude, did you guys have a war zone in your towns for 4th of July like we did? It's been unbelievable. I don't think this is nationwide, but ever since the George Floyd thing, ever since the you know the first protests, in the Bay Area, it has been like fucking bombs over Baghdad. I don't know where people are getting these illegal fireworks or where the fucking hookup is, but it has been unbelievable. They've been going on incessantly since then. Literally, throughout the day, all hours of the night, you'll hear these fireworks going off in the street. And I was saying to my girlfriend that over the last couple of years, uh, the 4th of July has been a little, uh, I've seen more displays of fireworks in the street for 4th of July over the last two years. This last 4th of July was fucking unbelievable. She and I were sort of walking around the neighborhood and it was like being in a fucking war zone. And until my girlfriend had this experience where now she's kind of dealing with the, the PTSD of being in proximity of of the shooting that happened in her building. I mean, she's like jumping every time this fucking explosion goes off. And I, never really considered, I mean, I had heard, but never really absorbed the criticism that you hear of people about like the Blue Angels or something like for, for, for veterans of combat, for people who've been in the theater of war, when they're in their office building or their apartment and they hear fucking fighter jets flying over their house, it's very triggering for them. And I had heard that, but never absorbed it. And now I am here with someone who I care about, who is genuinely frightened at these sudden popping noises that are happening ubiquitously. I mean, it was, and probably still is, but making her uncomfortable even to be alone in her place. And we're like walking around and it, like, it was like being in a fucking combat zone. It was crazy. I never heard anything like it. It was really, uh, I don't know. In a way, it's its own form of protest, right? I mean, obviously the fireworks are illegal, but it's sort of, to me, it always felt like, or it has felt like this continued just demonstration that things are changing. And it's this sort of ubiquitous signal to the neighborhood that we are abandoning social norms to do what we want in some way. And I'm not, it's not going to last forever, but uh, it, it's something like that. I feel like there's some, there's some message um, attending to this or accompanying this, I should say, that is being broadcast to people. A certain lawlessness. asserting independence of sorts or something like that. Um, And it's actually kind of weird too, because it's one of those things that, first of all, first of all, calling people a Karen has jumped the fucking shark, folks. If you're still posting shit, calling someone a Karen, and you think you're doing some kind of biting, uh, uh, hot take social commentary, you're fucking delusional, because that shit has played the fuck out. But everybody's saying, like, the Karens of the world are sort of protesting these fireworks. And I felt a little embarrassed about it, because I also had a problem with them. Mostly for this reason. And I felt, that, that I don't know, that, that feels a little short-sighted. You know, I think some people do have uh, legitimate complaints about it. And yet, my girlfriend's on this app, uh, what do you call it? Not Neighborhood. Um Civilian, or something like that. You know these Neighborhood apps? I'm not on any of them, but, like, you can literally just join a social network of people in your neighborhood and it's like every time a fucking fire engine goes by people post hey what's going on 
know, uh, or hey, I got like my girlfriend when we're fucking leaving, she literally has a fucking pound of miso powder. And she basically just puts on this app. Oh, Nextdoor, I think is what it's called. On this Nextdoor app, she just posts, hey, I have a pound of miso powder. Who wants it? Excuse me. And you get the crazy, excuse me, sorry, burping at you guys. She gets a response from the crazy hoarder lady who's like, oh, I'll take it. And she just like leaves it out in front of her apartment building. She had a fucking bottle of two buck Chuck, Charles Shaw, this sort of, it's actually fine wine, I guess, but she sort of posts on there like, hey, who wants this bottle of wine? And some guy named fucking Kevin is like, I'll take it. And it's like, hey, Kevin, dude, that w- it's, it's like, hey, Kevin, welcome to the intervention meeting. You're trekking across town for a two, $2 bottle of wine. Time to take a good long look in the mirror, Kevin. Anyway, I don't know. I, 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 maybe I sound too judgmental, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm very skeptical of people who spend time scouring these websites and like want to trek over to your apartment to grab a pound of miso powder. It's like, what is your time worth, you know? <clears throat> Um, where am I going with all this? Um, fireworks. Oh yeah. P- uh, um, this one woman wrote this super long fucking blowhardy post about, um, the trauma that this is inflicting on us is ble- not just in the evening, but bleeding into our days. And there was something about, even though I fully related to her, you know, I, I don't like them either. I would like them to stop. I both hate the people who criticize <clears throat> the people who are protesting this and calling them Karens and, like, like uh, even someone I respect posted something about all the people who are complaining about the fireworks should just call the fucking police department and, and, and ask them to investigate the death of uh, Breonna Taylor. And I was like, I don't think that that's why people don't like the fireworks, you know? It's not just like, uh, if you're protesting the fi- if you don't like the fireworks, that you're sort of against the whole movement that's taking place. But, um, yeah, what am I trying to say? Oh, I think I'm trying to say I both don't like the critics of the fireworks, even though I'm one of them. And I also don't like the defenders of the fireworks. Does that make sense? Dude, I don't fucking know, folks. Look, this podcast is wrapping up, and how do we feel about it? I'll be honest with you. From my perspective, it was a little forced. Right? I was kind of going through the motions. Maybe I should have waited till Sunday. Maybe I should have waited till the day before it was due. So I would have felt that pressure and I would have risen to the occasion and give you guys a fucking good one. You know what I mean? And it's just not going to happen all the time. Sometimes good enough is just that. It's called good enough for a reason. Being exceptional is great, but good enough is exactly that. This this episode was good enough. Oh man, don't be a Karen and complain about it. Deal with it. You know, they're not all going to be home runs, but you know what this does? It gives us an opportunity to be reasonably optimistic about the next one. Because the more maudlin and mediocre ones we have, it just means we're due for another good one. And I felt, in hindsight, I think the last couple are pretty good. And so maybe this wasn't as great as the other ones, but hey, it's not a horror show either. So let's do this. Let's wrap this one up. Let's move on with our lives for the time being. And then we will reconvene the same time next week to check in with each other and see how we're doing. Until then, if you don't already, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you already subscribe to the show and you like it, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Give us a five-star review and type a couple sentences about why you like the show. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show and join our little band of merry pranksters here, 
Uh, send them your favorite episode. And uh, let's see if we can't grow this thing. Whoo! Until then, I'm going to fucking keep doing homework over the next week and continue to work and make that money. And I hope you do the same, and I hope you're safe, and I hope you're wearing a mask. And um, let's get some sleep, too. Sleep is important. I've been not getting enough sleep. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that, and I hope you do the same. Uh, until the next time, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening, and ciao for now. <laughs>